in your Bibles today, John chapter 5, if you would find that place, and then you may stand as we read God's Word. Thank you, Forrest, for a great song, I Believe the Gospel. John chapter 5 in your Bible, and it's the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and John 5, and we're going to begin reading in verse 28, John 5 and 28, the words of our Lord, marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. Note the word all, circle it in your Bible, all that are in the graves, and they shall come forth. They that, have, they that have done good under the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. Thank you, and you may be seated. A year ago, when the COVID pandemic came to our country, and we were hearing very, very what turned out to be exaggerated figures, two and a half million people going to die, and then we were constantly hearing about death and so on. And I began to see a panic in the lives and in the eyes and hearts of people. And I observed it naturally, all of us, there is a certain natural fear of death that we all have. None of us, I don't think, want to die. And yet we know we're going to, but we're certainly not in a hurry for it. But what I began to see in people was an unnatural fear of death, not just a fear of death, an unnatural fear of death. People that were so overwhelmed that they would get the virus and pass away that they were willing to take their entire life and just put it on hold and, and not even being, even in some cases I heard people were not even willing to be around their own families. Well, that's irreplaceable. And then what's happened with our children? Our children now having lost, in many cases, a whole year and a half of education. You percent that into the years of education, and you'll find out that they've already lost 12, 15, 18 percent of their educational experience, all because of fear. Now, there were legitimate concerns, absolutely. I'm not minimizing that, but um, we'll never regain some of the things because of this panic, this inordinate, overwhelming sense that I might get sick, and heaven forbid, I might even die. Now, that's the way, of course, the natural mind thinks. But, of course, today, I'm speaking primarily to Christians. And the Bible gives us a perspective, a paradigm through which we view death that's different than the thinking of the world. I, as a Christian, should not think about end-of-life decisions and about eternity and about death like the rest of the world thinks. I, have a, I should have a distinctively Christian perspective about death. And so I, as I thought about that, I developed a series of messages called The Christian After Death. Very little that I'm saying today applies to the unsaved people. This is a Christian's paradigm or perspective. And so the subject or the 
the, the series I'm bringing is The Christian After Death. The message today specifically is the body and the resurrection. And I say that because I've spent now about three weeks talking to you about what happens after death, the soul going to be with the Lord, and the distinctions between body and soul and spirit and so on. And today, though, I'd like to focus our thoughts upon the body itself, the body and the resurrection. And boy, I've profited from this study myself. I've learned a bunch of things that, honestly, I'd never heard, I'd never read, I'd never found before, and yet when I found them in the Bible, they're there as plain as the nose on your face, you know? They're just right there. So I hope today that this will be a very practical message of help for you. Now, it begins with a question. Did God give man a body to last for all of eternity with an intermission in the grave and then a resurrection? Did God give man a body to last for all of eternity, or is the body intended for this life only? Think about that. Did God give a, does, is God's plan for my body an eternal plan, or is it just a temporary plan for life on this earth? Well, I believe that God's plan of salvation involves the whole of our being not just the soul and the spirit. It also involves the body, the temporal, the, the physical and the material part of our being as well. I base that upon 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23, which if you have been coming, it's a very familiar verse to you now. Paul said, I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He talks about the body and the soul and the spirit all being preserved and looking for the Lord's appearing. Now, we know that salvation kind of comes in stages when we talk about all of salvation. We know that when a person is saved, when they're born again, we're talking about their spirit. The Bible says that the Spirit died when Adam sinned. And so that we're, even at birth, we are incomplete because of sin. That our spirit, we're, we're spiritually dead in trespasses and sins is the way the Bible says it. And so when I'm born again, when I put my faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into me and my spirit is born again. And my spirit is now alive that was dead in trespasses and sins previously. So the spirit is, in effect, resurrected, is born again. The soul is being redeemed through sanctification. Sanctification is the biblical teaching that once we're saved, we're to be growing in grace. We're to be maturing. We're, we're to be becoming more holy as we go through life growing closer to the Lord, having more power of victory over our sins. And so the soul is being saved, we say. The spirit was saved instantaneously. The soul is in a process of becoming more Christ-like. And the third thing then is the body. Well, what ha how is the body saved? 
And the Bible teaches that the body will be redeemed, it will be restored, it will be made new at the day of resurrection. And Jesus said, and all are going to come out of the tombs, out of the graves. All people are going to, both the saved and the unsaved. And we'll be talking about this now for a couple, three weeks leading up to Resurrection Day, Easter itself. Now, the word resurrection in your Bible, uh, I don't know if it needs a definition or not, but perhaps it does. The word means to bring back to life a body that was dead. Resurrection is to restore life to a body which was dead. Resurrection in your Bible. Now, this is really important. Don't miss this point. Resurrection, every time you see the word, refers to the body. It never refers to the soul, and it never refers to the spirit of man. It always, without exception, refers to the body. Now, why would that be true? Well, it's pretty clear why it would be true. The soul and the spirit never die. The body is what dies, and therefore the body is what needs to be resurrected. What is placed in the grave is what must come out of the grave on the resurrection day. And the purpose of the resurrection is to restore the body back to its original perfection. Now, what I mean by that is not like it was when you put it in the grave, but like the body was before sin ever entered the world in its absolute perfection as Adam and Eve were before sin ever entered into and affected the body. And so the resurrection restores the body, not to what it was when we put it in the ground, but what it was before sin ever entered this planet. There's only three religions in all the world that believe in a physical resurrection, Christianity, Judaism, from which Christianity was a byproduct, and Islam, which also is what we call one of the Abrahamic religions, all of them coming from our father Abraham. So Christianity, Judaism, and Islam believe and look forward to a bodily resurrection. All the other religions that I can find any information about, Buddhism, Hinduism, animism, spiritism, and all the other lesser-known religions of the world, they believe in some type of future existence, but they don't believe in a physical resurrection. They believe that the soul or the spirit comes out of the grave or maybe is still in the grave. If you were to go to China, and I think it's true also in Japan where the Zarellas are going, you go to a cemetery and you'll find there all these offerings to the dead, and it's called ancestor worship. And they actually go and present a, an offering. It might be rice or some meal that they have prepared. Sometimes it would be something like, uh, often you see money on the graves of people in Asia. And this is an offering to help them because they believe the spirit is around that grave or possibly in the grave, and they have a need for these things. And so uh, there's these strong beliefs that people have of the spirit living on, the soul living on, but uh, no other group than Christians, Jews, and Muslims believe 
in a bodily resurrection. Jesus even faced this in his life. In Luke 20, it talks about the Sadducees coming to him, asking him a question. You remember the story? They said, if a man is married to a woman and he die and she marries his brother and then seven times repeated, whose wife is she going to be in the resurrection? It was a trick question, and it was because of their peculiar belief, because the Sadducees in Luke 20 and 27, it says, then came to him the Sadducees, which deny that there is a resurrection from the grave. In fact, somebody said they were called Sadducees because they didn't believe in the resurrection, and so they were sad, you see. Well, it's the best I can do. Uh, at any rate, they were sad. They didn't believe in a resurrection of the human body. Now, I want you today to think about the body, and we're not going to be very morbid, but we need to know what God's plan is for our bodies. They're very important to Him. In fact, I began there. I want you to understand from the Bible the high value that God places on the human body, the high value that God places on the human body. I hear people being a pastor and doing funerals like I do constantly. People say to me some things, and I, I never want to humiliate or embarrass somebody about what they've said to me publicly, but, boy, people make some statements that are so unwell thought out. <laughs> and here's one they'll say, oh, it doesn't matter what happens to me after I die. You know, just you can put, put, dig a hole, put me in it, put me in a box. Uh, throw me on the garbage dump. It's just an old shell. It doesn't matter anyhow. No, 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 no. You need to read your Bible a little bit more thoroughly, and you would find that God himself values your body, the high value that God puts on the human body. Turn to Psalm number 139 with me, please. Psalm 139, and there's a wonderful passage with most of the time when I preached on this, I was describing how the baby is made in utero, how, what's happening, how, the, how God is um, developing a little child's body in the mother's womb. It's the classic passage for that. But I want to say to you, this passage teaches me that the body is the ultimate crown of God's creation. Greater than the mountains, greater than the solar system, greater than any other part of creation is the body of human beings. It is the crown, the acme, the epitome of God's handiwork on this planet. And so we look in Psalm 139 and verse number 13, for thou hast possessed, and the idea there is formed. You have formed my reins. Now, the reins in your King James Bible is the organs, the parts of your body. So, the psalmist is saying, Lord, you have formed my body. You have covered me in my mother's womb. And the word for covered is a very interesting word in the Hebrew. It is the word of knit together, like you weave a tapestry, a beautiful picture out of cloth. And you put it together intricately. Every single thread in that cloth has got to be perfectly placed. 
And God has done that. He has knitted together our bodies in our mother's womb. I will praise thee. For I, referring to the body, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. See, there's the crown of God's creation. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance, and this word substance there is, the, is for the skeleton or the framework, uh, the bones of the body. They were not hid from you when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. And the lowest parts of the earth is sort of a Hebrewism, sort of an idiom that the Hebrews used to refer to the woman's womb. The place of darkness, I think, was the literal rendering of that. And then he continues, Lord, your eyes did see my substance yet being unperfect or incomplete. And in thy book, and notice that God has a book, and in that book, it's a pattern book. All my members were written. God has a book from which the Bible says he has a record of our bodies, which day by day or in continuance were fashioned when as yet there were none of them. And so my point to you is that God has honored the human body. It is the ultimate of his creation upon this earth. There's an interesting story you'll find in the Old Testament. The story is of Moses, and God takes him up to the top of Mount Nebo, and he says to him, now, Moses, I'm not going to be able to let you go into the promised land because you disobeyed me, and I told you then you couldn't enter the promised land, and so I'm going to take you home. And God took his, whole, his soul and his spirit to heaven. He died. His body is on Mount Nebo. Jude 9, one verse in the book of Jude, says that when God left his body there for, you know, how long, we don't know, maybe just momentarily, that Satan came and was going to take the body of Moses. Satan was going to claim the body of Moses. And that God sent his archangel, Michael, and they contended for the body. There was a contest, a fight, a, a conflict of some kind over the very body of Moses. So don't say, my body's nothing. Don't say the body is nothing. The body is something. The body is that greatest piece of handiwork that Almighty God could perform. When you look at a human body, you're looking at the, you're looking at the best God could do. The crown of his creation. And another reason I know that God honors the body is that he sent his son to live on this earth. And for 33 years, where did the son of God live? He lived in a human body, a body just like mine, a male body, a body with eyes and nose and ears, a body that represented in every way, you and me, a complete and full body, a man's body, if you will. God could do nothing to honor the human body greater than choosing it as the place of habitation for his own son. Jesus Christ, if you will, 
condescended to live in a human body here on this planet for 33 years. So God must really highly value a body if he would do that with his son. Now, so point one is that the high value God places on the human body, and point two follows, logically, because God honors the body, then we ought to honor the body as well. Because God honors the body, then we ought to honor the body as Christians. Turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, if you will, in your Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This is a verse that's very common. You probably know at least part of it by heart, but I think it's just a healthy exercise for Christian people to turn in their, in their Bibles and look at the very words of God. And so look with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm looking at verse 18. Flee fornication. It's the only sin I know of in the Bible that God says, don't stand and fight it, just run from it. Just get out of there, like Joseph did. Flee fornication. And then he goes further. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against the body. And so the Lord elevates this sin into a very special category, if you will. Flee from it. Be careful because when you commit fornication, you sin against your own body. But he goes further. What? Question mark. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? The temple of the Holy Spirit. We honor the body because God himself deigns to come and live within a human body. And when I receive Christ as Savior, really that's what salvation is. So many people put all the emphasis on forgiveness of sins. But in reality, something just as important as forgiveness is the positive side of salvation. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes and takes up his abode in your body. And you are the temple. The word temple literally means dwelling place. You are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit himself in this world, the body. And so we honor the body because of that. But we honor it for another reason, because God created us. He made us body, soul, and spirit. And so when we die, I told you the word death always means in the Bible separation, separation. And so the soul and the spirit goes to be with the Lord, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And then the body stays in the ground. We bury the body. It returns to the dust. And they're separated, the soul and the spirit, from the physical body until the day of the resurrection. You see, if I were to have an eternal state, if the rest of my existence after I die, is to be separated from my soul and my spirit, now think with me, I would be incomplete, wouldn't I? I wouldn't be like God had originally created me. I wouldn't, I wouldn't reflect his trinity throughout eternity. I would be incomplete, this ghosty, soulish spirit being roaming around the streets of glory for all of eternity 
It's not the way that it's going to happen. God made us a body, soul, and spirit, and the body is what really makes me human. God is a spirit. Satan is a spirit. Angels are spirit beings, but only humans have bodies. My body speaks of my humanity. It's what makes a man a man, a woman a woman, a human a human. Take away the body, and so we're not complete. We're not what God envisioned when he created us in Genesis 2, 7, that he took the dust of the earth and he made from it the body. And so the body must be fully restored. That's the reason for resurrection. The body must be re-completed, if you will, in the resurrection. And so we honor it. We honor the body because it's the temple of the Holy Spirit. We honor the body because man would be incomplete if he never could be put back together again. You know, Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall, and Humpty Dumpty had a great fall, and all the king's horses and men couldn't put Humpty together again, but God could put him together again. And the man is going back to the dust, and the soul and the spirit is in the heavens, but at the rapture, the Lord creates him whole again. He's going to be a whole being. And then we honor it for another reason. And so my loved one dies, and I stand and I look at their body. But as a Christian, I honor the body because it will live again. No, it's not just an empty shell. There's a sense in which it is, of course. But it's going to live again. And the Bible teaches it, and I have so many scriptures here. I'll only read one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. So you'll see that I've given you a good biblical base for it, but I could read 20 probably throughout the Bible. And I want you, first of all, to go with me to the book of Job. The book of Job, chapter 19. And I want you to see that the Old Testament teaches, without any exception, the resurrection of the body. Job, chapter 19, verse number 25. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand in the latter day upon the earth. There is his statement about the Lord Jesus living. And that he's coming back, that he'll stand in the latter day upon the earth. And then here's the verse. Though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I will see God. Now stop, analyze that verse. We know that the body will corrupt, it will turn to dust after death. It will be destroyed. Yet in my flesh, something's going to happen that brings that body back together. And in my flesh, after I've been destroyed by the skin worms, the flesh will come back in the resurrection, and I will see God. My facilities of sight will be restored, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins, my bodily parts, be consumed within me. So God values the human body. Secondly, because God honors the human body, then you and I honor the human body as Christians. And thirdly, 
the body from death to resurrection, from the time of the resurrection, how does the Bible describe that? It describes it as those that are asleep in Jesus. What a beautiful phrase. Those that sleep in Jesus. It's awful that we as Christians have accepted the terminology and the verbiage that the world uses because they don't know the importance of the body. They don't value it like God's people do. And so at death today, we hear people talking about how we're going to dispose of the remains. (laughs) I sound like a funeral director, not a preacher, don't I? How are you going to dispose of the remains? Isn't that the ultimate word of dehumanization? (laughs) The remains. No, it's the body. It's the crown of God's creation. Don't trivialize that ever, Christian. You see, at death, there's more at stake than disposing of the remains. There's more at stake as a Christian than just disposing of the remains. In fact, I think at death, it's one of the one of the greatest opportunities that Christians ever have to show the reality of their faith. Now, I don't mean you don't weep. When something happens to my wife, if she goes before me, I don't know how. I, I will break down. I'll cry a bucket of tears. That's normal. That's the way God made us. If something were to happen to a child or a grandchild, I remember when it happened to mom and dad. It's okay to weep. Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus, didn't he? So I'm not trying to tamp down your emotional response. You need to weep. Weeping is really God's therapy for a broken heart. You need to weep. We got an idea in America that, you know, it's unmanly or something. No, no. It's God's safety valve to release those deeply felt emotions that we can't do in any other way. But it's also time for you and me as Christians to show our deepest respect, reverence, our love and care for the person that has passed, somebody that we loved. That body belongs to them. It's not yours. It's their body. And let me tell you something. It's going to be their body for eternity. And just stop and think about that. It's going to be their body for eternity. And so through the years, where Christianity went, for example, we didn't ever mutilate a corpse. The pagan people so often would mutilate corpses. After war, they would desecrate the bodies of their victims. It was a way to show power. We, we conquered you. And so they did unspeakable things. But to the Christian, no, even if we were at war and we took the life of an enemy, we would reverence the body. Some interesting stories of how the American troops in uh, World War II 
uh, treated the bodies of Nazis. And some of them had this Christian Judeo value system and they treated those people with respect, even though they were the enemy, so should it be. And I've watched in my ministry, the very first funeral I had was the funeral of a stillborn child that I went over and buried in Winsboro, South Carolina. The funeral director and I rode together and carried a little casket this big on the back seat of my car. And I've told the story of it. What, for a first funeral, it was traumatic for this preacher, I'll tell you that. I've had a lot of them since. And I've watched this deterioration of respect, like in so many areas of American life. Uh, when, when your loved one dies, have a Christian funeral if you're a if you're a member of this church don't embarrass us by bringing in all the anything goes practices of today there's a lot of wonderful songs that comfort people we don't need willie nelson we don't need um, led zeppelin who actually they played a led zeppelin record at a funeral i held 20 years ago wasn't that starway, stairway to the stars or something? Nobody's going to admit they know. I was at the service of a young man who graduated from this school. And they had one of these open sessions where anybody can get up and say anything they want. The guy told about him going and um, being at the bars and drinking together. And here we're sitting at a funeral of a professing Christian and the mourners are being told that he, boy, we had a great time that night, I'll tell you. Everything in a funeral service ought to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything in a funeral service ought to honor the deceased. You didn't do him any honor by talking about a sinful escapade early in his life. I heard a man in a eulogy use profanity. So when there's a loved one who passes, it's not anything goes. It's honor the Lord and then honor the deceased. That's why we're here. Dr. A.T. Pearson was one of the great preachers of 100 years ago. And the only way, of course, news came in those days, if it were after hours, was a telegram. And one night, someone knocked on his door, and the young man handed him a telegram that his dear friend and fellow pastor, A.J. Gordon, had also died, or had died in Boston, Massachusetts. And the request was that Dr. Pearson get on, on a train and come to Boston and conduct the funeral service. They were very close, both of them two of the best-known preachers in America. And Dr. Pearson was an authority on Greek. So he said, I took my Greek New Testament, and I began to look through it that night. I never slept a wink. I just was so heartbroken. And I read every passage that I could find in the New Testament that described the death of a Christian. 
And for the first time in my ministry, I discovered something I'd never heard or seen before in the Bible. And it was the fact that the apostles never used the word death. They never used the word for death after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When Jesus resurrected from the grave, they changed the whole terminology, the whole verbiage changed. And the terminology changed to referring death as being with the Lord, not dead. The terminology Paul talked about, my departure, referring, using a navigational term, the, the schedule of a ship to leave the port and to go on its voyage. Peter used the term after my decease, like he had heard the Lord use it on the Mount of Transfiguration. And the word decease, as I explained a few weeks ago, was the same word in the Old Testament for exodus. After my exodus, my leaving Egypt for the promised land, after leaving slavery for freedom. And Peter describes his his death, his coming death, in those types of terms. But the one word Dr. Pearson said they used over and over more than any other is the word sleep. Sleep referring to never to an unbeliever, always to the believer's body after death. He sleeps. Of course, the word sleep is, is, is implied to be temporary. We don't sleep forever. We sleep for a period, and then we awaken resurrection. Sleep refers to the fact that people are resting, and so our loved ones are resting in the Lord. After death, I will be resting in, we say, in the arms of Jesus. Well, there's some truth to that. And all the way through the Bible, you find this terminology. Let me share with you. I'll just give you four of them real quickly. Daniel 12 and 3 says, they that sleep in the dust of the earth. Luke 8 and 51, Jairus' daughter, she is not dead, Jesus said, she sleepeth. In John 11 and 11, Jesus said, our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go to awaken him. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 13, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning those who are asleep. Over and over and over, this is the terminology that describes the state of the Christian's body after his, his passing. And both the burial practices of the Jews and the Christians reflected this belief that the body was sleeping. Now, the rest of the world, other than among the Jews at that time and among the Christians, other than that, the pagans always burned the bodies or disposed of them in other ways. But the Christians buried their dead. Under the city of Rome, if you go there, and also in Paris, there's this virtual city, the catacombs, they call it, and it's subterranean tunnels under the ground, some of them hundreds of feet below the ground. And they wind for over 100 miles under the city, deep down underneath it, two or three different levels of them. And there are tunnels where you can walk, and then there are horizontal spaces that they've created where they place their dead. And much of what we know about early Christianity comes from the inscriptions that are on there. And it talks about those people, what they did. 
It's like walking through a cemetery today and, and seeing the information about the people that lie there. And, and the uh, catacombs is where the Christians would take their, their dead and they would leave them there hoping for the coming of the Lord even in their lifetime. They say, the scholars say that there are over 6 million people buried beneath the city of, of Rome and three or four million under the city of Paris because they so valued the keeping of the body. And then later on, they didn't dig subterranean tunnels, but we began to have what we call cemeteries. And boy, I, I kind of envy the country church with the cemetery around it where people can be buried right where they worship the Lord. There's something really touching to me about that. I wish we could have done something like that, I guess. But um, it, that word cemetery is an interesting word. The Christians went back and picked up a Greek word, and the Anglo form of that word, cemetery, the Greek language, it's sleeping place, sleeping place. And we take our dead out, and we place them in the sleeping place, temporary to rest there with the Lord, but their body sleeps in the ground. The most often asked question I probably face today is this, Pastor, what do you think about cremation? And today in the United States, over half of the people that die are cremated. It's 53% a recent figure that I read. The funeral director over here next door told me that it's even more than that, he thinks, in our area. Now, the issue really is money for that, or at least it's the one most people use. The average cost of a funeral in America today is, they say, between seven and $10,000. Although I found out you can, you can actually do one for less than that. We have a lot of keeping up with the Joneses in America when it comes to funerals. <laughs> so we want the latest edition, just like we do with a car, don't we? But um, it can be done for less money than that. But people say to me, what do you think about it? I mean, is it wrong? Or Here's how I would answer the question. All the weight of Christian history and tradition obviously favors burial. If you can bury your loved one, that's my, that would be my preference if you can afford it. But I'll quickly add, the Bible does not condemn cremation. In fact, so often, burial is not even possible. People perish in fires. They drown and bodies are never found. They die in airplane crashes where the bodies are not even identifiable. They die in wars. So it's not even always possible. And the truth is, is when you really boil it down, whether you bury or whether you cremate, it ends up the same way. Dust <laughs> to dust. So you either fast track them or you slow track them, right? <laughs> but you're going to end up in the very, very same place. My preference because of Scripture is burial, but 
That's a personal preference. That's not an ultimatum from the Lord. But I do know this. I'm certain of one thing. Turn again to Psalm 139, if you will, please. And in verse number 16, what comforts me is no matter how I die or where I die or how I'm buried. As a believer, if all the particles are not there, the pattern book is in the hand of God. He has the pattern. And here's the guy who lost his limb in Vietnam. But you know what? God has the pattern. And he's going to restore him complete and whole and for all of eternity. Friday, I did a funeral. Not the funeral of a church member. Many of the funerals I do are not of church members. It was Dr. Bill Poland's mother. She was 87 years old. She lived in Maryland. She was married for 63 years, and five years ago, her husband passed, and I conducted his service, and she wanted me to do hers. She loved the Lord. Boy, the family gathered. Before it was over, I got up at the end, and I said, you know, I've kind of enjoyed this. You're not supposed to enjoy this, but I've enjoyed this. I mean, here's a woman married to the same man for 63 years, raised three kids. All of them are successful people. And she, she, she worked throughout her days uh, at a family business that they had. And then the Lord took her, and the last few years of her life, her son-in-law manages a Christian radio station. And he said all day long from the time she got up until she went to bed at night, she was listening to the best preachers, J. Vernon McGee and Charles Stanley and Adrian Rogers. And all day long she was listening to the radio, and she loved the Lord, and her face beamed, and she said, I'm ready to go home. And I thought, that's the attitude, Christians. That's the way we've got to live our lives. None of us want to die. None of us want to be on the next load. But I'll tell you what, when the big bell rings and the Lord calls for us, remember the words of Paul. To be with Christ, which is far better. Far better. And here's a lady who lived that way. And we commit her body to rest until the Lord Jesus comes. I've never before talked about funerals on Sunday morning. I was afraid nobody would come back on Sunday night. I don't want you to leave thinking this was his morbid sermon. But I hope it's brought you comfort and peace and rest and hope. Because we have so much hope, folks. Let's don't let a pandemic destroy what our Bible tells us about our life, the Christian after death. Stand to your feet with me, if you will, please.